Before we begin this week's show, we want to take a moment to stop and tell you about something else you can listen to, NPR One. NPR One is an app for your phone. You can listen to news and stories from your local station and find new shows and stories to make your commute less awful. So if you were planning to listen to our show during your commute, uh, a less awful alternative is to listen to NPR One. That's the message from NPR. Find it on your app store, NPR O-N-E. A couple weeks ago in Carryville, Florida, they had the annual Worm Fiddlin' Festival. Now, if you weren't there, you probably don't have any idea what Worm Fiddlin' is. Neither of us do. But we are curious. We love worms and we love fiddlin', and putting them together is probably spectacular. On the line with us now is Timothy Haynes. He's the chairman of the festival. So, Timothy, what is Worm Fiddlin'? Uh, it's a method of extracting worms out of the ground. Um, a lot of people go out and fiddle worms for bait, you know, to go fishing with, and it's quite a profitable industry. Uh, we have people that uh, go out and just fiddling, snoring, grunting worms. They're all, they're all the same thing. And uh, you can make around thirty, forty, forty-five thousand dollars $45,000 a year. Really? Off of snoring worms. I mean, it is quite profitable. And so how does it, how does it work? Well, you take a, a a seasoned piece of wood and drive it down in the ground, and then you take a uh, either your axe head that you drove it down in the ground with and rub it across the top of it, causing a vibration. The vibration goes into the ground, and the worm thinks it's a mole or coming after it, and it goes up to the top of the surface, and then you collect the worms. So it, it feels the, the shaking in the ground and thinks that there's a predator coming. Yes, yes, sir. So you say a seasoned piece of wood? What does that mean? Um, you, can't, you don't use green wood to do it. It's got to be dry, like a one-by-four or something like that, and uh-huh. you just drive it down in the ground um, six to eight inches deep and uh, rub your axe or a piece of metal of any kind, or you can even use a piece of wood across the top of it, just anything that'll make the wood vibrate. And it, the vibration goes down in the ground, like I say, and it, they'll come up, and if they don't come up within a couple of minutes, there's none there. So what makes for a good hour of worm snoring? What, like, how many would you get? We had, we had in, in 15 minutes, we had uh, people collect... 82 worms, no. 40, and that's just in 15 minutes. Uh, I had a six-year-old that was doing it, and she'd done it by herself. She collected six worms in 15 minutes. And, you know, for a six-year-old, that's pretty good. Wait a minute. So you can put kids to work then pretty young. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think about what it must look like when you have 80, 82 worms coming out of the ground. Uh, well, you know, uh, saying that, that's quite a few, but now you talk about some people, when they snore them up, there's uh, thousands come up, you know. Wow. And um, for somebody to go out and gather in five hours, one morning, 30,000 worms, is not difficult, you know. Dang. It's uh, probably, like I say, five hours worth of work, and you gather twenty or 30,000 worms, and then you make your money off them. What's the biggest worm that you guys have ever got out of the ground? Probably eight, nine inches long. And then, do you know what kind of fish it caught? Uh, no, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We actually turn them loose 
after the birds after the birds go to sleep at night. No, really? Uh, yeah, we actually turn those worms back loose that we snore up out of the ground, and uh, you know somebody else can come along and use them for bait. But we're not we're you know we 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 try to be mindful of our earth and put put everything back like it's supposed to be. Would it, you you said you wait till the the birds have have gone down for the night? Do do you do that because you learned your lesson? Uh, no, it's it's uh, it's pretty much traditional. I guess it started way back when they they knew that the birds would wind up eating the worms if you didn't wait until they went to sleep. But mm-hmm. uh, it's always said to put your worms back in the ground when you when the chickens go to roost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's our terminology down here. Well, Timothy, thank you so much for telling us about worm fiddling. All right. Thank you. Hi, Carl. What can we help you with? Well, uh, I am in college right now, and I started a new semester, and people are not remembering my name, but they're almost remembering my name. So people have been calling me Kyle and uh, Connor and... Kurt and Kirk, etc. Huh. So, but your name is it's Carl. Yes, with yeah, K A R L. Okay. So, give us an example of a kind of sample interaction where you you realize somebody has remembered your name almost right, but not right. Um, the other day, I was telling uh, my friend in one of my classes about this, and she didn't believe me. And then my teacher got up, and um, I brought a CD to listen to while we work and uh, he said Keith has brought us a CD today so that we can listen to while we're working and then in my senior year of high school a girl called me Cole for six months even though I corrected her <laughs> many times huh. so, until one day somebody referred to me as Carl and she goes but your name's Cole and I go no it's it's Carl when you introduce yourself to people how does that work what do you say I just say I'm. My name is Carl. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, some something I found that works sometimes is that I like introduce myself as like I'm like, well, I'm, my name is Carl, uh, like Carl Marx, uh-huh. and that makes it stick a little bit more sometimes. Yeah. I wonder if people just stop paying attention that fast. If that if we have such it. short attention spans. That is a very short attention span. We can't make it through one syllable. <laughs> You're, it's, it is. It's just one syllable. You're right. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing, is to think about how short our attention spans are, and rather than saying, hi, my name's Carl, say, Carl, that's my name. So the first thing they hear <laughs> yeah. is Carl. Yeah. Do it in a kind of a little sing-song, too. Yeah. Carl, that's my name. Oh, that's... <laughs> I, I'm sure no one would forget it after that. Yeah. Well, Carl, we're going we're gonna to try and help you out here. Great. Okay, Christopher, we have an idea. Our producer, Candace, has tracked somebody down who might be able to help you. He is online with us now. So, Michael, can you just introduce yourself for us? Hi, uh, I'm Michael A. Levine, and uh, I am a composer. I've written music for film, television, pieces that have been performed at Lincoln Center and theater and this and that, but probably my best-known contribution to Western culture is writing the music for the Kit Kat Gimme a Break jingle with lyrics by Ken Schuldman. We should just jump in here. Uh, if you're not familiar, this is the Kit Kat theme we're talking about. One, two, one, two, three, four. 
Right, so we're we're trying to help out Carl, who, for some reason, whenever he introduces himself, uh, nobody remembers his name. They call him Connor, Kirk, Cassidy. So I, I think we could do, I mean, I think it would maybe help Carl, it would help people remember his name if we could come up with a jingle uh, with which he could introduce himself. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that because um, Candace did email me that. And, uh, of course, within approximately five minutes, I had composed the following. Carl. 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 Not Kyle. Connor. Or Kurt. Or Cole. Or Cassidy. Carl is the one and only name that's mine. You can shove all the others where the sun don't shine and say, Carl, 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 Carl. That's right. That's fantastic. (laughs) And it's so catchy. I hope and so. It's repetitive. Now are you going to remember Carl? So, Michael, let's imagine now. Let's do a situation where uh, you're Carl, and you're going to introduce yourself to the two of us. Let's let's try this out. Let's. Wh- wh- how would that go? Well, you'd say something like, "See, my name is Carl, and everybody gets it confused with other names." It goes something like, "Well, here, let's strike up the band. My name's Carl. Carl." Carl, and so forth. And, and, you know, he sings the whole song, and if they're still standing there and have not by then had him arrested or anything, they probably will remember his name. <laughs> he will leave an impression. Definitely. It, it's true. Is there like a rule, something you think about when you, you're, you're given the task of making something catchy? Is there... What, what's step one? Well, I don't know if there is a single rule. But one of the, the most cardinal rules of writing jingles is if it takes you more than, say, five minutes to write it, you're probably doing something wrong. Ah, okay. And so the, the, the Kit Kat Give Me a Break jingle, the, the lyrics were written by Ken, and he gave me actually essentially war and peace. He gave me several pages of possible lyrics, and I picked out Give Me a Break, Give Me a Break, Break Me Off a Piece of That Kit Kat Bar from different parts of the page. And I got in the elevator at Deep Doyle Dane Burnback, which was on the third floor. And by the time I got off the elevator, uh, on the first floor, this, the song was written. Um, it, it's, uh, it is a fairly slow elevator, but nonetheless, <laughs> it, 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 wasn't, it was probably a faster-than-real-time process. Do you remember any of the other suggested lyrics? No, I don't. You know, it's been um, a long time. And uh, I do remember the original bridge was, you could keep it to yourself, but that wouldn't be fair because that chocolate crispy taste is loved everywhere. Now, the client objected to this because they thought they could sell a lot more Kit Kats if everybody had their own. Thus ignoring the main appeal of Kit Kats, which is that you break it off and you share it with somebody. And that frisson between what the product actually is and what the client would like it to be has continued to this day. Uh, you'll, you'll never see people sharing them in the commercials. They're always, they, everyone has, you know, lives in their own private Kit Kat uh, world. It, and it, it, it's fairly typical uh, of advertising clients 
that they don't actually understand their own product. Well, Michael, thank you so much for helping out Carl, and hopefully this jingle works. Well, I hope so. I, I mean, I can, I'll tell you what, I, I can send you a slightly better audio quality because I'm sure that recording it over the, playing it over the phone probably lacks a little perfection. Carl, Carl, Carl. Not Kyle, Connor, or Kurt, or Cole, or Cassidy. Carl is the one and only name that's mine. You can shove all the others where the sun don't shine and say, Carl, 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 Carl. That's right! It's now the part of our show where we like to take a minute and thank our sponsors. And this week, that's uh, OnePlus. OnePlus is maker of the OnePlus 3. I guess it's also known as the 4. The OnePlus 3 features Dash Charge, an innovative technology that sets a new benchmark in charging solutions. A quick 30-minute charge will replenish over 60% of your OnePlus 3's battery, allowing for 7-plus hours of HD video playback and giving you a day's power in half an hour. So if you're if you're keeping track, that's one plus three uh, times sixty percent plus seven. So if you figured out the code, uh, get us your answer. We'll take the first correct answer we get, and the winner will get to play the puzzle with uh, little shorts. Check it out at oneplus.net. Support also comes from Casper. Not Kyle, Connor, or Kurt, or Cole, or Cassidy. You know Casper. Carl. They're an online mattress retailer. The Casper mattress is designed, developed in the USA, and engineered for comfort. They use two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, to give just the right amount of sink and bounce. Just, just the right amount. And for you cowards, they have a risk-free trial. Try out your Casper mattress for 100 nights with free delivery and returns. Cowards. Along with a special offer for listeners, go to casper.com slash everything and use the promo code everything to redeem $50 towards a Casper mattress. And uh, for those of you a little more willing to live on the edge, they have a high-risk trial, which they will put you on a Casper mattress, light it aflame, and uh, push it out into the middle of a pool filled with sharks. They call that the Viking Funeral Package. Terms and conditions apply, especially to that last one, which will almost certainly kill you. Hey, Jacob, what can we help you with? So my question is, how does a curse word become a curse word? And I guess I thought of this. I play basketball with a group of people once a week, and uh, one of the people I play with uses his own name as an expletive. So, like... If, if you were to imagine playing basketball with John Wayne and he went up for a layup and missed, he would come down and be like, ah, oh, John Wayne. And that yeah. always struck me as kind of funny. I mean, that's, very, that's pretty solid because you get to express that frustration and anger, but you're not hurting anybody by saying something that might offend them. Exactly. Unless, I guess, people are offended by your name. Are you, uh, are, do you curse in your everyday? I, I, I do not, No. So I'm, maybe I'm the worst person to ask this question. No, you're the. I mean, you're the only person to ask, <laughs> ask this question. <laughs> I, I think this is a very interesting question, and I, I, um, 
you know, so we're talking about words like, like, <laughs> these are words. Sure. Okay. I mean, I mean, I think, like, like, if I were to call someone a dumb butt, that's, that's rude, but it's not a curse word. But, yeah. but there are, you know, variations of the same literal meaning that are curse words. Would you, if you're in a situation where someone insulted you or did something, would you call them a dumb butt? Uh, yeah, like, you know, that's more just like if someone's being kind of a, you know, a goober, I don't know, just <laughs> sort of goofball, you call him a dumb butt. <laughs> Hold on there, Jacob. Hold on. <laughs> I want to say I feel I feel a little bad. I said some words. I hope that it wasn't offensive to you. I, you know, I was acting only as a journalist, not as a, not as a citizen of the I hope I hope I didn't offend you by saying the words I said. Not at all. You okay. know, it, okay. it sort of comes with the territory of the question. Yeah, well, it's yeah. also Ian's kind of a <laughs> d- <laughs> All right, Jacob, we're going to we're going to look into this for you. All right, thank you so much. Jesse Scheidlauer is our word expert. He also wrote a book on the history of the word <laughs> It's called The F Word. So, Jesse, let's just start there. Can you tell us about the origin of Um, sure. The earliest unquestioned, you know, clear example uh, of, of in the sexual sense is from a manuscript in the 15th century uh, that's making fun of the monks of this particular, uh, of this particular abbey uh, in Cambridgeshire. And uh, the poem is written in a combination of, of Latin and English, and the English words are printed, or at least the offensive ones, including these are written in a cipher where each letter of the word is replaced by the following letter of the alphabet. Um, what did the sentence say? Uh, the sentence, again, it, it's uh, talking about these particular monks. Uh, it translates to they, the monks, you know, they are not in heaven because they follow the wives of Ely. Uh, That's not something you would, I would never have thought that the origin of Carl uh, involved monks. Uh, they were the ones doing most of the writing back then. So, uh, you know, there there are, in fact, various examples. I think one of the earliest examples uh, from the uh, 1520s, I believe, uh, is a manuscript note that's uh, uh, O.D. Abbot, uh, which in this case, by the way, would mean, you know, an abbot that f***s. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, the use of f***ing as an intensifier is much, much later. So we can assume then that if the monks are writing Carl. Or, or having Carl being written about them, that people are, are walking around talking about Carl. Yes, absolutely. And the fact, again, that this, that this uh, passage is written in a cipher uh, suggests that, you know, it's taboo and must have been you know, widely used, but not... Uh, you know, but not frequently written down. The, the word etymologically means something like to strike, to thrust, to move back and forth. Um, so there are examples in uh, various earlier sources of a word that seems to be like uh, being used in senses, meaning you know to to hit, to strike. Um, Wait, so the, could you be churning butter, and and because the motion is the same, I, I mean, and could you be? The butter churn? Uh, you could be. There, there isn't an example of precisely that, but, but yes, you could be. And again, in, in other Germanic languages, there are, uh, you know, the, the equivalent word is used to refer to, uh, to planting seeds, for example, uh, you know, to plowing seeds into the ground one by one. You know, so, so you do have things where that motion is used with words like... Well, Jesse, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you as always for having me on. Well, that does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? 
I learned all about worm fiddling. Yeah. Or grunting, snoring. Yeah. Do you think maybe it'd be smarter just to do fish fiddling? Because that's why you're doing it. You're trying to get the worms to go fishing. Yeah. We just got to find a way to fish fiddle. It's really, you think about how much fish like to eat worms. Yeah. They've really made a poor choice living in water. Because it seems like in the earth, that's where fish could be really well well fed. It'd really live a gluttonous life if it could breathe. Hey, so uh, our our producer Nadia Wilson is um, she's left. She has gone on to better things, and we don't say that as like a euphemism. No, it's she's actually true. Yeah, she's working on a real show and everything, and we miss her. And um, she did a lot of good things here. Yeah, thanks for putting up with us for so long, Nadia. Yeah. I can say that at least we pronounce your name correctly most of the time. Thanks, Nadia. But this show, this show is produced by Candace. Candace Mattel. Nadia's body is not even cold yet, and Candace is dancing on her grave producing this show. She, sorry, Nadia, you've been Candace fiddled. Uh, technical direction from Carl White. Our intern this week is Cassidy. Good job, Carl. You can get us your questions. Send them to us at howto at npr.org. Our website is carltodoeverything.carl. I'm Carl. And I'm Ian. Carl. Hey, our show is over. But you may be hungry for more information or at least more sounds to fill your ears. In which case, we want to recommend the NPR Politics Podcast. Monday, September 26th, is the very first presidential debate. And the next morning, that's Tuesday, September 27th, the NPR Politics Podcast is inviting you to skip the cable news hangover and get caught up with them instead. They'll have new episodes the morning after every debate, so you will know what happened and what it means by the time you get to work or class, wherever it is you go. What it, whatever you do. We're not here to judge. Uh-uh. Uh, whatever you're doing. That's your business. No matter how sick and depraved your post-debate mornings are, make the NPR Politics Podcast a part of it. Yeah, with a podcast, you could really go anywhere. You Because nothing's there's no cords to tie you down. I mean, you are a oof. monster. Subscribe or listen on the NPR One app.